Well, let's get started. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to jump right into the text for today. If uh, you are new to using uh, Scripture, uh, you are always welcome to use your digital version if you have it on your phone or tablet. Or if you're using a Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, the book of Luke is in uh, the New Testament. It's one of the first four books which are called the Gospels, or the Good News of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the book of Luke. We're going through a series uh, studying just trying to understand Jesus through the eyes of Luke. And one of the things uh, about Luke is he was very detailed in his writing. In fact, he begins the book of Luke by saying, I've made it my desire to portray an accurate account of everything that happened around Jesus. So Luke said he interviewed eyewitnesses, he talked, he kind of did his research and put together this manuscript. So the book of Luke and the book of Acts are both written by the same person. It's the history of Jesus and then the first disciples. So that's what we're looking at here today. So we're going to jump into where we are in the story. It's Luke chapter 5. Jesus has um, been born, he's been baptized, tempted in the desert. He's already begun some of his, what we call the public ministry. Now people are starting to hear about him. The rumors that he is Messiah are out there. He's performed some healings. He's been teaching people in synagogues. And so the word and the news of Jesus is now out. And so that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 5 today. What I'm going to do is we're going to read these 11 verses, and as we go through the story, I'll kind of provide a little bit of context, and then we'll go back at the end and answer the question, what do we learn about Jesus from this? Or as we've been with our sermon series title, who is that man? Who is Jesus according to this story? What can we learn about him? And so that's what we'll land on. But first, let's walk through the story. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Starts off and says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing in around Jesus, and they were listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and and that means the Sea of Galilee. That's just the Hebrew uh, word for it. And he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of the boats and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from land. And then he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So a little bit of context here. Jesus is on the shore of um, probably in the, t- the town of Capernaum. It's a town of about 1,500, the whole region of Galilee. There's, it's surrounded by a bunch of towns, but this is one of the little fishing villages. And Jesus is teaching. So the word of him has already gotten out, and, and he's performed some healings. So people know of Jesus now, and they're pressing in around him. So it's not just that he's preaching a sermon, and people need to get really close to listen. I don't, you don't often try to get closer to me. Uh, in fact, we reserve the front row for the late people. So, um, so it's a little different, but what we do here is, or what's happening is, as Jesus is teaching, there's something compelling about him, and people are pressing in. And now he's, he begins teaching them. And the context here, he looks and he sees a couple boats. They're on the shore, but no one's in them. And the fishermen are drying out their nets. So at this time of day, it, it's probably morning time. Because the type of fishing that they would do, they're fishing at night. Because they're using nets and the fish don't see uh, the nets in the nighttime. So if you fish and use this type of fishing during the day, it's usually less effective. And so we know it's probably morning. The fishermen are in from a night of work, and they're cleaning out their nets. And you'd simply be doing that. They'd be pulling seaweed out of them, pulling little anything they don't want in the nets. They'd be washing them and drying them out so that they last longer. It's the normal routine. But this type of fishing, you'd fish through the night, and then in the morning, they're in this place where they're cleaning up. 
And Jesus is on the shore, and he sees the boats, and he gets into one of the boats, and he goes to Simon, who later his name is changed to Peter, so Simon Peter, and he says, hey, uh, can you put your boat out a little bit from shore, because I want to preach, and the crowds are pressing in on me, so I need a little bit of space so they can hear me. So, so Peter stops what he's doing, and he gets in the boat, and they push off a little bit. I'm sure it's not too far, but just enough to get some space so they could all hear them, and then he sits down to teach which would be the posture of teaching that was used when they uh, taught on the word of God in the synagogues. So he's teaching the word of God. Now, verse 4, let's get back into what's happening. When Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. In other words, he just finished preaching his sermon and he looked at Peter and he said, hey, let's go fishing. Let's head out. Let's, let's go do something. It's all crowded there. People are going to want something. Let's go out and catch some fish. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But I'll do as you say and I'll let down the nets. Now, in this, this verse here, as we look at this, on the surface it sounds like, here's Simon Peter, or Peter, sounding pretty obedient, and indeed, he was obedient. He did what he said. But there's a little undertone of things happening here where he says, Master, um, you know, we just got in from fishing. We've been out all night, and we didn't catch anything. And there's a little hint of, and, and Luke doesn't write it down, but I, I, I wonder if it's in there. If Peter also said, and uh, by the way, um, we're kind of the professionals here. <laughs> we kind of know what fishing is about. You're just a preacher. What do you know about fishing? You know, you were a carpenter turned preacher. We're the fishermen. Fishermen. Now, the other thing we know about them is when we put all these stories together, we know that uh, Peter worked with his brother Andrew, and they also worked with John and James. All four of them became disciples of Jesus. Now, the four of them worked for the same company. They worked for John and James' father. So in the way it would be in Galilee, they were likely a very successful, successful fishing outfit. Fishing was actually one of the better paying industries. And so, and to have multiple employees like this, it wasn't like they're just some unknown fishermen. They probably were a pretty big deal in the area and one of the more successful uh, companies. So here they are, they're good at what they do. And Jesus says, hey, it's daytime, it's a, the sun's out, let's go fishing. And Peter basically says, it's going to be a waste of our time because it's not the time to go. But master, if you say to do it, we'll do it. So that's a little bit of what's happening here. Now, verse 6. When they had done this, they dropped down their nets. They enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. That's kind of a big, you know, in your face. Well, you thought that was, you know, you know more than I do. I have pictured this scene actually right here where Jesus is probably not just sitting there like, Pete, I told you so. Why don't you listen to me? But I think that Jesus probably was excited and having fun. If you've ever been fishing, and I, I, I like to go tuna fishing, and every once in a while you get on you kind of get on a school of tuna, and when you do, you basically, all you have to do is throw your line in the water, and the fish bite really quickly. I've been out there before, where in a half hour, we caught over 100 fish on the boat. It's just so fun. Now, I guarantee you, nobody's do, doing that and just going like, here's another fish. Here's another fish. 
Um, it's actually a lot of fun. So you start pulling them in, and people are like screaming and laughing and having a great time. And I imagine the same scene here. They're probably pulling in the fish thing like, are you kidding me? Look at all these fish. And I don't think Jesus is just sitting there going, ooh, look. You know, he's probably pulling in the nets with them. They're laughing. They're having a great time. Now, a little idea of what this looks like. Uh, we have some um, images here. Now, this is a fishing boat that actually was found in the Sea of Galilee in 1986. Uh, the, it was a record drought, and this, the shores receded to a, a point where they never have in over 2,000 years, or about 2,000 years. And they started excavating it and found that it was a fishing boat. And obviously, it used to be in better condition than that, but this is the, r- roughly the shape. You can fit about 14 people in there and if one of them is sleeping in the front. And so that is what it looks like. So here's a mosaic from first century that actually shows what the fishing boat would look like. Those two kind of masts are actually what they would use to put the nets over and pull the nets into the boat. And we have one more. This is the replica. This actually is the boat that, uh, that happened during this story. Um, and so Jesus was in this one. But, no, but, so you can see this boat. And in the story here, there'd probably be, normally be about two people in each boat. And they'd pull the nets. The net would be this long, called a drag net, connected from one boat to the other. And as you pull in the net, as the fish get caught into it, you just dump the fish into your boat. Now, in this story, the boat, each boat started filling up with fish. And that's the context of what's happening here. As they're, they're pulling in the net, they're probably laughing, having a great time. But then there's one person who the story turns for. In verse 8, as they've been be- filling both boats with all the fish, Simon Peter saw that. And he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't fear, from now on you will be catching men, or fishing for men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So here in the story, as they are in the midst of this, Jesus says, let's go out fishing. So they go out fishing, and then all of a sudden, all this fish start filling the boat. And in the midst of it, where they're laughing and enjoying this moment, Peter, I can almost imagine him, slows down. And as he's watching this, he realizes this moment. And he realizes that this isn't just a smart teacher who has great things to say. That there's something more about Jesus and everything that they had been wondering about him. Is this Messiah? Is this God in flesh with us? He sees this and the moment he realizes, I am not worthy to be in this boat. And he falls down on his knees, covered with fish all around him. And he looks at Jesus and he says, you need to get away from me. You don't know who you're dealing with. I'm... I'm a sinful person. I'm not who you think I am. I, I know that I'm here with you, and I, I know you said take the boat out, and I did, but you don't get it, Jesus. You don't want to be by me. And so he says, depart from me. And Jesus in that moment looks at Peter, and I love how he doesn't even really respond to that. He just says, Peter, don't be afraid, because from now on, I've got something else for you. 
In fact, I'm going to be calling you to something even more significant. You are even less significant in this next plan. But don't, be, don't fear, because, hey, it gets better than this. It gets better. And that's a story that we have. So I want to ask the question, what do we learn about Jesus in this story? And then what do we learn about ourselves? So I want to go back to, through the story and find what are the moments, what does this tell us about who Jesus is? The first thought I want to share with you is this. In this story, we see that Jesus meets us where we're at. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a while and studying scriptures, you might say, that doesn't sound very revolutionary. I've heard this before. But I want you to notice something in this story. Jesus actually meets Peter right where he's at, and he, he walks with him where he's at. I, I kind of, when I first became a Christian and heard these stories, I always envisioned the calling of the disciples to be kind of like they were this group of uh, fisher people. They were all fishermen, and they were drinking and smoking and cursing, and, and, and their husbands were doing the same thing. And so that's kind of what I envisioned the whole fishing industry world to be like. And one day as they're out, you know, and they have like their, their, uh, their beer and their, uh, all that, and they're out there enjoying times that this holy man walks up and starts teaching and says, come follow me. And they say, well, that sounds good. And they set it all down and follow him. I, I, I kind of thought the story was just this random encounter. But there's more to this. You see, because here at this story, this is not the first time that Jesus has ever seen these disciples. He didn't ask Simon to use his boat as some random guy and say, like, hey, who, who, whose boat is this? Can I, can I use that boat? See, because we know if we piece together, we read in John chapter 1 that actually Andrew, who's Simon's brother, had already been listening to Jesus. He actually went to Peter, Simon Peter and said, hey, we think we might have found the Messiah. We're pretty sure there's something different about this Jesus. Come and see and let's listen to him. Let's learn from him. We find then that they're kind of hanging around Jesus a little bit. In fact, in chapter 4, Jesus is in Simon's house. He's hanging out, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and Jesus heals her. They're eating together. They're enjoying life together. They're getting to know one another. See, it's not some random encounter. We find that Jesus meets us where we're at. He actually was developing. He was speaking to Simon Peter before this moment. And I look at us in our lives, and I think, what is your story? How has God introduced himself to you? Or how is he introducing himself to you for some of you who are still trying to figure this out? You see, he meets us where we're at, and he'll use people and circumstances to meet you there and to walk with you in your journey, as he did with Peter. I think of, uh, I, I grew up, my dad was in the army, so I moved around a lot, and at one point I got transferred, and we lived um, in St. Louis, and um, my family started attending this church, and I was, we just kind of went on Sundays, and that was it. And there was a day when they were having this big youth event. It was a Friday night and a Saturday, and my mom wanted me to go. And she, so she said, hey, I want you to go to this youth event. And I thought about it, and I thought, wait, it's on a Saturday? That's like Saturday school for church? There's no way. I did nothing wrong. Why do I have to do that? And she goes, well, I want you to go to this. I'm like, there's no way I'm giving up my weekend to sit in a church. That, that's torture. And, and, and so then a couple of weeks later, there was a concert that came to the town that I wanted to go to. And it was, it was the Motley Crue, um, which wasn't part of the youth group curriculum. And, um, and I said, hey, Mom, I want to go to this Motley Crue concert. And she says, okay, well, you can go. 
if you go to this youth event at the church. And I thought, well, the concert's only one night, so there's no way I'm doing two days at church for it. So, so we, we made a deal, and I went one night to Motley Crue, and then I went to just one day at this youth event. And, um, and so Motley Crue is part of my faith journey, yes. So, and, and yes, they were one of the bands, that was back in the era when they said, you know, if you play the record backwards, it has satanic messages. And as Mark Foreman uh, says, that with Motley Crue, when you play it forward, it has satanic messages. So <laughs> didn't have to do it backwards. So anyway, so... I, uh, I went to this concert, I went to this youth event, and I remember walking in, and I had a friend in the youth group who said he'll be there, and he said, I can sit with him, so I showed up late on Saturday morning, he found me, he says, come to our seats, we're sitting up front, I was like, what? okay, it's Saturday, and you're sitting up front in church, what is wrong with you people, so I went with him, and I remember walking in, and this was one of those big Southern Baptist churches, and it had the balcony that wrapped all the way around, and there was probably like five or six hundred teenagers in there. And I still remember the moment of walking towards the front, and I was looking up in the balcony at this little section here, and everyone was singing and dancing. And I had this moment, and it may sound strange to you, but I literally, at that moment, did not, that I remember it clearly thinking, what is wrong with these people? Because I didn't even know you could smile when you were in church. I didn't. I didn't know that you could enjoy it. I didn't, I thought that was against the rules. And so I saw this and thought, here. And it was the beginning of my journey of where God was getting a hold of my heart. Now, it took about a year from there, and a ski trip to Colorado, and some other cool events, and a good-looking girl in the youth group. All of that (laughs) was part of the journey of God getting a hold of my heart. But see, he's, what we find here even in this story with Peter, is that he's patient, and he'll meet you where you're at, and walk with you in the journey. And so that's encouraging to me when I look at family and friends and people who I think, I just don't know if they get it, but we don't know what their story is right now. We don't know what moments are drawing them. We don't know if community survey was one step of Jesus getting a hold of someone's heart last week. And so we find in the story that he will walk with us, and he's patient, and he'll meet you where you're at. In Luke chapter 5, we're going to see next week, the next story, he, Jesus reminds us that he comes to save sinners. And so he wants to meet you there. He's not saving the righteous people. One thing I love about this story is Jesus is calling these disciples who are not the rabbi or the Hebrew scholars. They were religious. They believed in God. They were searching for the Messiah, but they were not the elite. They didn't have all, they weren't teaching in the synagogues. They were normal people. But Jesus came to save them. So he meets us where we're at. The next thing we see in here is Jesus will call us to a life of faith. And and this is that idea that he'll meet you where you're at, which many of us like, but he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants to call you into a life of faith. He's not afraid to ask you to go somewhere you might not want to go. Now, that might not always mean, I, I, I know, and this was a fear, actually, when I first became a Christian, as I thought then, like, do I have to become a missionary and, like, move to Africa? I don't want to do that. And, and, and you kind of, I was afraid to even pray, God, I'm willing to follow you, just, like, let me know where you're thinking. Um, <laughs> you know, not Texas, are you sure? I don't think so, but, um, sorry, I know we have some Texas people here. <laughs> Never, okay, I'll move on. So, uh, but, God, I, where are you going to call me? So he may call you somewhere you don't want to go. Now, very few people, though, are called to be foreign missionaries. Some of you might be. 
Some definitely are, and we believe in that, and we support it, and wanna, we want to encourage you if God's calling you there. But Jesus is not afraid to call you to places you may not want to go. He might be calling you to forgive someone you don't feel like forgiving. He might be calling you to not gossip when everyone around you is gossiping about somebody. The life of faith is, it does look different than the rest, than the life without faith in Christ. And he might be calling you to that. He might be calling you to lead your, min- your, uh, your work with integrity when no one else in your industry does so. And it might cause you to miss out on some profit and some opportunities. He's calling you to lead your marriage differently than if he wasn't a part of it. And the way you raise your kids, the way you handle your finances. He's not afraid to call you to a life of faith that will require you stepping out and being out of step with the rest of culture. We find that here when Jesus looks at Peter and says, I want you to drop your nets in the water. I want to challenge you, Peter, with something that seems unusual, but I want you to trust me. Let's go do this. He asks them to step out in faith. Now, the third part of this, and this is kind of the most encouraging here, is I find in this story is that Jesus will be everything that you need him to be. That he will provide what you need to do what he wants. See, here, Peter, when he's encountering Jesus and he realizes, hey, I'm a sinful man. I don't, I'm not worthy of this calling. I don't fit here. He falls to his knees and says, you need to leave. You need to depart from me, Lord, because I can't do this. You don't know who you're dealing with. And Jesus says, fear not, because I'm calling you to something else. But he says, I will make you into a fisher. Of men. I will help you learn how to catch people. I will provide what you need. I will be enough for you, Peter. I am going to walk with you on this journey and supply everything you need for the life I'm calling you to. I won't leave you there where you're at. You don't have to figure it out on your own. In John chapter 14, verse, six, uh, verse 16, when Jesus is praying for his disciples, I have this on the screen for you, he's praying, he just says this, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. He goes on to explain, this is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I know that without the power of God in you and his life through you, you're, you're hopeless, but I can be enough for you. I will provide what you need. This last week, my wife and I had an opportunity to uh, travel. We were in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a gathering with uh, lead pastors from the EFCA, which is a part of the movement we're a part of. Uh, there's about 15 of us just praying together, processing ministry together, and, and kind of encouraging one another. But on the way to our airport, uh, we were uh, in our Uber on the way back to the airport, and this is in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it's the headquarters of the Billy Graham Foundation, and where Billy Graham just passed away a, a day before we got there, essentially. And uh, his body, that was, they were doing the viewing the days when we were there. So Billy Graham in Charlotte is a pretty big deal. It's uh, the one who has preached to over 225 million people uh, across the globe. It's a pretty monumental event. But so we got into the Uber, and we're driving back, and I just asked the driver, hey, because um, they told us we had to be at the airport like three hours early because there's politicians and people traveling through a lot um, this week. So we're going, and it's like, have you noticed the traffic getting worse with, you know, the Billy Graham 
viewing and all this, and he just said, no, but I just listened to a clip of Billy Graham preaching on the radio. He said, I don't think people preach like him anymore. And I was like, no, I don't think so. So there's an opening, right, to just start saying, like, well, tell me more about this. And, and, and he kind of started sharing his worldview. He goes, well, I'm not really a religious person, but I don't cheat on my wife. I was like, well, that's good. Check, you know, great start. <laughs> and, um, and then my wife was in the car, and I'm, like, trying to, like, see where this conversation will go. I'm trying to steer it and, and just let, and so my wife's in the car. She goes, well, you're driving a pastor to the airport right now, so just so you know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess now I have to say something. I was just taking it easy and trying to, like, God move, but now, okay. So, uh, and later she just told me, I just didn't want to waste time. Let's just get to the point. I'm like, okay, Fine. So, so he goes, oh, a pastor, huh? Then he shared more of his philosophy of life. And, and, uh, but he got to a point where he said this. He says, I, you know, I don't really want to become a Christian. He goes, because I, I, I know the stories of the Bible, and isn't it true that the disciples of Jesus, all, they all end up getting martyred and they got killed for their faith? I said, yeah, most, all of them but one. And he said, yeah. He goes, you know why? He goes, I believe that that's because they took it serious. And it, and it made a difference. And when they lived their life of faith, it actually cost them something. And, okay. And he said, you know, I'm not ready for it to cost me something. And I don't want to, he goes, because I'm the kind of guy, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I just don't, I'm not ready to change everything about my life. So I don't want to become a Christian yet. But then as he continued to talk, what he actually shared with me, he goes, and Besides, I, I, don't, I feel like I need to get to the place where I've kind of got it all figured out. And I, 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 that basically what he said is that I need to get to where I'm worthy enough for God to save me. And then worthy enough to live the life that he's asking me to live. I got to get there first. And, and it was a great teaching opportunity. So I asked him to open his Bible to Luke chapter 5. And... Um, but I just, I looked at him and said, hey, Thomas, I just want you to know something. If you're waiting until you're good enough for God to save you, I, I got news for you. You're going to be waiting a long time because you're never going to be good enough. And then I thought, am I allowed to say that to someone I don't really know? So I threw in that, and, and I'm not ever going to be good enough either for God to save me. And I'm never for sure going to be good enough for him to use me. And so if it's all about waiting until that moment happens, well, we're going to be waiting a long time. But here's the good news, Thomas, that you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be enough because Jesus already is enough for you. To which he said, amen, brother. That was only in my head. But, um, <laughs> but it was one of those moments where I realized so many of us think that we need to make ourselves savable. Or we need to make ourselves usable in the eyes of God. And if we could just get to that level. See, we're like Peter in the boat. And we see Jesus and we say, you don't get it, Jesus. You don't understand the thoughts that run around in my head. You don't want to use this guy. See, we don't see ourselves as savable, as good enough. But we forget that we won't be good enough. Jesus is good enough. And he's the one who's all we need. And so Peter, Jesus doesn't even listen to Peter's response. He just said, yeah, that's fine. Because you're going to realize, Peter, really soon that without me, you're nothing. But with me, you have all you need. 
Jesus is enough for us. So what's the challenge for us today? A couple thoughts here. First, when you look at Jesus, who is he to you? Are you willing to make Jesus Christ Lord in your life? I want you to notice two interesting things here. In verse 5, when Simon Peter is responding to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing. Let down your nets. And he said, Master, if you want us to do it, I'll do it. It's the only time this word is used this way in Scripture. It essentially means master. It means a boss, a chief. Positionally, you're over me. If you say to do something, I'll do it. That's what this means. He says, Master, I'll listen to you. You've been good to me. You healed my mother-in-law. I see you've done some cool things. Sure. But in verse 8, he says, Lord, depart from me. See, in this story, he goes from master to Lord. When Jesus is the master of your life, when he's just position over you and tells you what to do and what not to do, it just changes outward behavior. But when he's Lord, it changes your heart. So are you willing this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, not the master of your life? Don't worry, if he's Lord, he's also master. So don't think, well then, lets me off the hook, right? See, because Lord is this idea that you are God over all things, that you are the creator and sustainer of the universe, that what you provide is all that I need for every step of the journey, and I am being transformed from the inside because of you. When he's Lord, are you willing to make him Lord? Not just master, not just, okay, you tell me not to, to get drunk, I won't. It's fine. Tell me not to cheat on my wife, I won't. See, I'm already on the journey. If it's just master, but is he Lord? You want him to transform everything. The other final thought is, let's make him Lord, but the other one is this. Are you willing to respond in faith and join God in his mission? And join in his mission. And that takes a little bit of responding in faith. It takes stepping out. It takes dropping the nets in the water. Notice in this story, the fish didn't just jump into the boat. It'd be a totally different story if Jesus said, hey, let's paddle around and watch all the fish jump into the boat. But he said, I want you to do something that you might not think makes a lot of sense. I want you to come and step out in faith. See, God, are you willing to respond in faith? Because God calls you for, for a reason. I believe that we need to be people who are being transformed by Jesus, who are reaching people for Jesus. Because the mission of God is to restore and redeem his creation. He wants all people to come to the knowledge of his life. And he wants to invite us to be a part of that journey. Are you willing to step out in faith? You might say, like Peter said, I, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel ready. I want you to see this quote. God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. God doesn't call those who are qualified to join him in mission. He qualifies those he calls. He's calling you and inviting you and let him be your credentials today. Just step out in faith. As I invite the worship team up, and end here, I want to share with you uh, words to a song. I was listening to sports radio this week, and they had an interview with a songwriter. And the songwriter was sharing his journey of he was struggling. He was an alcoholic, and he went through rehab. And he was sharing about how tough it is to go through recovery. And, and his music is kind of an expression of 
of his journey that he's on, and I really, was really compelled by his story. And so I looked him up and started reading his uh, lyrics and listening to it, and I, I do have to confess that he is a country music singer, and this is the second time in three months that I've mentioned a country music singer. Um, I'm not backsliding. I'm not becoming a country music fan. I just got to confess that to you. But it was really good words. I think there's something about country music and hip-hop. They both actually tell good stories. So, um, and, and, you know, usually country brings in God, too, so that's cool. But so Travis Meadows is his name, and he's talking about his, through, journey, through recovery, and this is a song that he wrote actually to his recovery group. And he said that he was supposed to journal and write about it, and so he said this song is actually his recovery group homework, um, is what it is. But there's a, it's called God Speaks. But this is just the chorus right here. He's, and he's singing to his group. And he says, you can change my world. You change my mind with just a word if you believe it. I don't know much, but I know love. And that's enough to the one who needs it. When God ain't getting th- it's country music. So when God ain't getting through, God speaks to me through you. I love that last line. When God ain't getting through, God speaks to me through you. Who, is the, who are the people out there who maybe are saying, I, I'm listening for God, but I don't hear him. But one day they're going to write the story and say, God wasn't getting through, but he spoke to me through you. Through you. Through you. When you step out in faith and allow Jesus to live his life through you and you are the love of Jesus and you bring his compassion and his justice and his grace and his mercy. Through you, God will speak. And so we're going to end our time here, and I just want to invite you to respond. And we're going to sing our final song of Christ is Enough. And really it's saying, he's not saying, you be enough. Let Christ be enough through you this morning. So pray with me. God, I thank you again for the reminder of your call in our lives. I thank you for how incredible you are and have been for us. I thank you that you are everything that we need. And God, I pray right now, I I, I confess that there's times when I don't step out in faith and it's not because I don't trust you, it's because I don't trust me. And I think it depends on me. And so Lord, I pray that you give us the courage here in this room to step out knowing that it's gotta be you in the first place you're enough. And for anyone who's here this morning, Lord, who maybe has never taken that first step of faith to to trust you and to ask for your forgiveness and believe you for all they need, I pray this morning that you would speak to their hearts. And if that's you and you want to take that first step of faith, would you pray with me in the quietness of your heart right now and just pray, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to change my life. I may not have all the answers. I still have many questions. But give me the faith that I need to trust you to be enough. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, God has invited you to the journey. That's the first step. So Lord, we give you this time now as we end, united together as a church. We want to be centered on you, the one who's enough. Lord, speak to us in this place.